0: yeah i'm also just like terrified by that like i want to know what they've done already you
1: know yeah so terrifying good news it's a real possibility oh lovely thank you (laughs) Hi, i'm kat and i'm gabe and, and we're we the ghouls next door someone. talking about spooky stuff
0: yes we do yes living life and saying words about stuff
1: heck yeah i was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as we do uh yeah we are the media literacy show from a horror lens where we explore the real life historical happening right now outside reasonings behind our cinematic fears and this series is it is written uh where yeah. we're talking about some writers and not explicitly like outright horror writers all the time but a lot mm-hmm. of the things that they cover is horrific um and so i would argue that yes they are horror writers um yeah we're doing this in like two parts for everyone so uh we start with kind of like a biography and study of the writer themselves and then the second episode is where we dive into a specific work of theirs usually one that's like most well known
0: yeah and what we've been finding is that one it's interesting to like learn about the authors but then when we end up talking about the books were like this is so much more words than movies did. <laughs> yeah, we have so much to say, which I mean is probably great for y'all if you like hearing us say things. Uh, but yeah, I would just realize each time <laughs> so far it's been two. I know it's not like it's a bunch, but we're like wow, there's so many words to say about yeah. this topic. Uh, it's like
1: ver- like you know you get like ninety minutes, maybe two hours of a film,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: versus like pages of entire backstory and emotion and like things that we just can't convey on screen in quite the same way. Like we've definitely yeah. talked about uh, films that are inspired by books and in, in some of their differences, like Annihilation. I talked a lot about the book primarily because that's where I'm more interested <laughs> in what yeah. um, And it is like that. It's just that there's so much more to be said because they can take more time and you can create, Worlds a little differently. Like you get to Mm -hmm. invent them, right? Like in your own head, and so sometimes interpretation just drastically changes. Yeah, Um, and the same can happen in film, but just I feel like not as as much as when you have like a book. Yeah, you're given
0: like more of the information already, like kind of like decided by someone when you're watching a film, where like in the book you can really make a lot of the choices. Your brain influences like the information you're taking in in a different way because you're really visual you're visualizing it differently you're not you're giving so much less physical context or like visual context you have to like invent a lot of that in your own head
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and I what I really enjoy about this series like talking about my own series right now is that we are kind of unpacking like the writer but then also a specific work because we've done this in the past like we've mm-hmm. done like classic uh writers we've done like some of the more popular horror writers like Stephen King Joe Hill and Rice you know yeah. um, Dean Koontz and uh people really enjoy those because we go into like like who that person was and what inspires their writing what kind of writing they do and mm-hmm. we just felt like in addition to kind of like how we did with Jordan Peele it was just we had so much more to say <laughs> about like just as films in particular that we had to put it into two episodes so um, yeah, we just know in ourselves did that now and so last our last two were about octavia butler and the earthseed series of so parable of the sower and parable of the talents and this time we're going to be talking about margaret atwood yeah who's the author of like 40 plus
0: yeah they wrote a bunch it's actually apparently uh, according to their website which i'm going to say again in about five minutes so i could just wait but uh they wrote 50 books of fiction poetry and critical essays that's
1: insane insane just i'll be always writing always be writing and um They, uh, Margaret is definitely one of my favorite writers. We'll definitely talk about, you know, I mean, people aren't perfect, right? And we'll talk about Mm -hmm. some of the issues that come up with their writing, but, um, and maybe even some of just like a specific attitude to, like this laissez-faire approach to certain things and topics mm-hmm. like I'm just not going to touch that uh, <laughs> and I'm like mm, okay that's not quite it that's not quite it um, yeah but I will say that like um, I've read quite a bit of her work she's definitely one of the names up there of authors I've read multiples of their work like often and try mm-hmm. to like sneak out um, her works so I have uh, met her in person she mm-hmm. signed My Handmaid's Tale and The Heart Goes Last at the Free Library of Philadelphia um, with cool. our good friend Anya. So <laughs> we both really like appreciate her, and I really do. Um, and yeah. I think it's like you can appreciate someone's work, you can appreciate them, and you can also acknowledge problems <laughs> yeah, no, <100%. laughs> and, and lacking of perspective as well. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, like for from- you would appreciate it too. That's fair. And I mean, this. is I've only read The Handmaid's Tale at this point. So I
0: feel like I need to read more of her work to get a bigger picture, especially more for like recent stuff, because I feel like she's like grown a lot in her career and her perspectives, like through time. Mm-hmm. Um So I imagine it would be interesting to just like, yeah, read more of her books to just get a bigger picture because I, I only have The Handmaid's Tale and I thought it was fine
1: yeah (laughs) so i I, think
0: it might be interesting to like uh have more things added to the opinion that extend past something she wrote in 1985
1: yeah and i definitely want to read the testaments which come as the sequel to handmaid's tale i'm interested i want to know what happens uh, because it kind of left off not knowing what things are which i also appreciate but um Yeah, why don't we dive in? Why don't we tell you a bit about Margaret Atwood, and then we'll tell you, I'll tell you about, like, her work, and Kat's going to tell you about her life. Let's do it. Do it.
0: (laughs) All right, guys, let's learn about Margaret Atwood. I'm going to tell you some general facts, as well as, like, some, like, more in-depth facts I think Gabe has like the coolest fact in their section uh that I don't talk about but it was pretty neat uh but I want to thank thoughtco.com for their biography of Margaret Atwood as it helped in filling in a lot of areas of information that both Britannica and Margaret Atwood's website did not have um just like more context like a lot of the shorter written informational articles about her were just like she did this and she wrote a lot and i was like that's cool but like why did she write a lot what was her her deal you know like mm-hmm. what was her story that led her there like it's cool that she wrote a bunch of books about stuff but like why did she do that it's i feel like it's just interesting to learn that so thako got more in depth about like what her life story was um, awesome as i said before uh Margaret Atwood has authored more than 50 books of fiction, poetry, and critical essays. That's a bunch. They wrote all the time. They are still alive, I believe, and writing Mm -hmm. more. So that's pretty awesome that, you know, 50 is a lot of books. That's a bunch. (laughs) I can't even fathom writing 50 of anything other than these scripts that are a page or two long. (laughs) So it's impressive. Uh, Whole-ass books. So Margaret Atwood is born on November 18th, 1939 in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Her parents were Margaret Atwood, Nii Kalam was her maiden name, and Carl Atwood. Her mother was a dietician and her father was an entomologist, which is a bug scientist. Um, And like Octavia Butler, uh, her mother read to her quite a lot. And that's something that really influenced her love of writing and reading itself. Um, And Atwood described her mother as a tomboy or not like fitting of traditional womanly Um, which could have like influenced her a little bit too. Um, One thing that I thought was really interesting about her mom is that she was like really a pillar of like pushing for education. um, And that apparently like her grandfather didn't want to pay for Margaret Atwood's mother's schooling because he called her too frivolous, which is just rude. Um, So she ended up taking a job teaching to save and pay for her own way to college. In college, she ended up meeting Margaret Atwood's father, Carl Atwood, and they got married. Um, They spent much of their time in log cabins next to Insect Research Labs, which Carl Atwood actually built the Mm. cabins that they lived in. Um, And they lived for many years without electricity or running water, which I thought was very interesting. Um, Apparently, uh, her mother also got really into becoming an ice dancer and did so until he was like 70 years old. And had a lot of just, like, nice. really interesting interests, interest, interest, like, was just very independent, wanted to, like, what is it called, when it snows, like, shovel her own lawn. She was, like, always on the roof, taking stuff out of the gutters and stuff. Like, she was very into just, like, defying gender norms. Mm-hmm. So uh Margaret was, like, raised pretty heavily by her mother, especially because they were homeschooled until the age of 12 um, and lived in these cabins next to bug laps uh, without <laughs> electricity running water so she had like a what you could describe as a somewhat non-traditional childhood um so margaret was the middle child she has two siblings siblings and in her youth they moved all around canada living in northern ontario quebec and toronto um Atwood didn't start attending traditional schooling until the age of 12. As I said, like her mother homeschooled her until the age of 12, but she became an avid reader and writer. Um, she read a variety of things from traditional literature to comic books, and she loved writing as much as she loved reading and wrote children's plays and stories at the age of six. Um, hmm. she, she continued her schooling, moving on to high school, at least high school in Toronto, And they moved on to college with their undergraduate at the Victoria College at the University of Toronto. And their master's they got at Radcliffe College, which I believe is the female school for Harvard Hmm. in Massachusetts. Um, They almost followed that up with a Ph.D., but ended up not completing their dissertation. Um, Following school, Atwood married the American writer Jim Polk. uh, But they got divorced pretty quickly uh, five years later, um, and they met pretty soon after and fell in love with a fellow Canadian novelist named Graham Gibson. Uh, and in 1976, they lived together until Gibson's death in 2019. So um, they never ended up getting married, but they did have a child together, which was the, uh, their only child, Eleanor Atwood Gibson. And Margaret published her first book of poetry in 1961 called Double Persephone, which was pretty soon after or before giving birth and she ended up publishing another book like a year after giving birth too um so in 1961 she published double persephone and this book of poetry was so well received it won an ej pratt medal and it named atwood one of the foremost canadian poets of the modern area era which is like a pretty big title um, mm-hmm. Poetry made up most of Atwood's early career, where she focused more on teaching. Um, she worked teaching at three Canadian universities, joining their English departments. This allowed for her to travel across Canada, where she taught English at the University of the British Columbia, Vancouver, as well as Sir George Williams University in Montreal, and finishing at the University of Alberta. So similar to her childhood, she spent a lot of her adulthood traveling, um, and that like continued on into... Her like later years of teaching, where she ended up going to like Australia and other places, pretty interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So during this period of teaching, she also published three collections of poetry: the Kaleidoscopes, Baroque Talismans for Children, and Speeches of the Doctor for Doctor Frankenstein. Um, and in 1966, she pub- published the Circle Game, which won an award for the Governor General's Literary Award. Um, in 1968, she published The Animals in That Country. And the first decade of her career in writing, poetry was their main focus, uh, and they published poetry almost exclusively. Um, But in 1969, Atwood began taking on novels and published her first novel, The Edible Woman. This was the start of Atwood covering more like societal critiques through speculative fiction. Um, And during her journey into novel writing, she continued to teach, this time at the University of Toronto, where she became a writer in residence. A lot of her career continued as being writers in residence. She still did teach, but she ended up getting to travel a lot through being a writer in residence. Um, In her residency, Atwood published three more novels known as Surfacing, which was written in 1972, The Lady Oracle in 1976, and Life Before Man in 1979, in 1973 is when she originally got divorced and soon later fell in love with Graham Gibson. Their daughter was born the same year as The Lady Oracle was published in 1976. And these novels carried similar themes as The Edible Woman and started to establish her as an author who covered themes of gender, sexual politics, and identity and identity intersection between national and personal identity. While she pursued novels, she did continue to write poetry and gained more fame through poetry. Um, She continued to publish six collections of poetry between 1970 and 1978. Her most famous book uh, that we'll be talking about next week, The Handmaid's Tale, uh, was published in 1985. The perspectives shown in this are very reflective of the time period it was written in. And also it was interesting, like, the reality that it was before, like, technology and the Internet. So you kind of see, like, the impact of that as well and how, like, people just didn't know... (laughs) yeah what the internet would do um so you have like yeah just like this different perspective on how society was thought to turn out not even considering like how the internet would come into play and kind of like open up this like across the world situation um which i'm sure they might get into more with works and craic and like uh bringing technology more into their writing Uh, Mm um But uh, one thing that was, I thought was super interesting is that in addition to being a writer, she was also an inventor um, and worked on a robotic writing technology that allowed you to, like, from a remote position, sign things. Hmm. Um, and in addition to being an inventor, uh, she kept going on with writing, following The Handmaid's Tale, Atwood wrote Cat's Eye which was also well-received throughout the 1980s, Atwood continued teaching, but did hope to eventually leave teaching for a more lucrative career as a writer. Um, Teaching did allow for her to travel more, as I said, and she was able to teach and write in New York and Australia. But in the 1990s, Atwood continued novel writing and focusing on morality and feminism, covering many topics and styles. Um, In 1993, she published The Robber Bride, and in 1996, Alias Grace, both novels depicted a villainous female character. Um, Alias Grace was apparently based on a real story where a maid was convicted of murdering her boss. Uh, but both novels won awards and recognition. And at the turn of the century, century we got to see her publish a little bit more technology-focused work. Uh, the Blind Assassin won many awards and earned her place in Canada's Walk of Fame. But as she continued, her book started to turn more towards technology and mixed with the speculative fiction as well as just like real life so she came up with as i said the idea for a writing technology that allowed a user to write in real ink from a remote location this technology is called long pen um which is just fun it's like a robot that signs things for you i have like a picture in uh the blog that will go out it's just like it looks like this kind of like cool robot thing that like will just kind of 3d print energy sign things (laughs) you so you can sign like wherever you are and it'll if you put it at conventions or like book tours is how she used it where she couldn't attend in person she would still be able to sign books through oh. Long Pen. so it's pretty neat um as i said in 2003 atwood uh started to move more in technology so atwood published orcs and crate which is a post-apocalyptic speculative fiction novel that turned into a trivoli called the trilogy called the Mad Adam trilogy and the trilogy follows a post apocalyptic scenario where humans have pushed science and technology to alarming places, including genetic modification and medical experimentation. She also went on to write an opera, which is really (laughs) cool, um, in the early 2000s called Pauline for the City Opera of Vancouver, which was about the life of a Canadian poet slash performer named Pauline Johnson. Um, Atwood's most recent work, also includes some new takes on classical stories, her 2005 Noella, the Penelopead retells of the Odyssey and the Perspective Penelope, um, and Odysseus's wife specifically. Um, and it was adapted for a theatrical production in 2007. Um, in 2016, as a part of the Penguin Random House series of Shakespeare retellings, she published Hagseed, uh, which reimagines the Tempest Revenge play and as the story of the outcast, of an outcast theater director. But Atwood's most recent work, which uh, we talked about a little bit at the beginning that we kind of want to check out is The Testaments from 2019, um, which is a sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, uh, much anticipated, I imagine. Um, And the novel was one of two joint winners of the 2019 Booker Prize. Um, So honestly, when I was doing a lot of this research, there was not much personal information about Margaret mm-hmm. Wood and her like upbringing other than like, she spent a lot of her life without technology um, and like spending a lot of time outside in the woods with her dad, like following bugs uh, and kind of just like reading and learning about stuff in a way that's like kind of different than if you were in a public school for the majority of your educational upbringing, as well as like just in like technology surrounded upbringing. Uh but she seemed pretty interesting. I imagine that like when, sadly, uh, after death, I feel like a lot more personal information gets published about people. So I imagine we'll, there'll probably be a lot more in-depth biographical information about her eventually, uh, but I, I couldn't find anything like too personal. So it was mostly just like, yeah, about what you what she did, where she's from, a little bit of her childhood. Um. And yeah, that's the whole spiel.
1: Yeah, there. Uh, I think it's. I have. I saw the um, the Penelope ad, uh, Mm -hmm. like listed, and I've I'd never heard of it before, and so I got like really excited because I'm like I really love when we take classic tales and we retell them from a different point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, like there's uh. Yeah, so one of my favorite edit, like like times where they've done this was uh, <laughs> with one of my favorite villains of all time, which is Iago from Othello. Mm-hmm. Um, only because I just love—I'm a sucker for Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare, um, but I love Iago because he literally just like turns to the audience like yeah. all the time and it's just like i'm gonna i'm gonna start messing stuff up i'm about to ruin this person's <laughs> whole career like i'm gonna stir yeah. the pot just get ready and then he does it well he just does it and it's just chaos so um there's a book called iago which is the is othello but told from his point of view uh, mm-hmm. and i found that really fascinating uh even the mm-hmm. fact that like we get to see um penelope's point of view because it's like that whole time he's out doing stuff and so much occurs for her and, they, like, you yeah. gotta see that we don't ever see it. Like, he just comes back and she's like, it is so messed up right now, but I've been holding it down. And he's yeah. like, everything's better because I'm here. And she's like, no, it's not. <laughs> she's like, it absolutely yeah. is not. I've been running this whole thing. So I got very excited about that. Um Yeah. Well, it kind of, yeah, it ties back to that whole, like, only certain stories
0: have been told for a very long time. And it would be interesting to have other stories told. So I think that's, like, her whole spiel with trying to do that is like trying to like focus in on different characters who have like kind of just been spoken over Mm -hmm. or like written about from the perspective of men yeah um and like kind of giving them a voice so i think that's like a cool
1: idea Um, so it's maybe it's interesting we'll see Yeah, I'm I'm definitely on the list now. Uh, And, you know, a lot of her work has been adapted. Like Handmaid's Tale obviously has that show on Hulu, um, Mm -hmm. which we haven't finished, but um, we've definitely watched. And then uh, it was also a movie before that. And then the Alias Grace was adapted for Netflix and was a TV show. I never I have and I own uh, Robber Bride and The Blind Assassin, but I have not read them yet. So Mm -hmm. um, it's just there's too many books in the world. Yeah. And she wrote 50 of her books, enough so. to, Yeah. 50 of her books. Yeah. You can't expect me to be able to read them all. Yeah. Um, you know,
0: it's eventual.
1: It's so You'll gorgeous. get to it. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't I tell you a bit about, um, her work specifically and some other things about her? Um, yeah. Do it. All right. So I want to start. Um, <laughs> by uh, addressing some concerns. Um, okay. cuz as happens just in our lives when you really love someone who is a creator, it is almost guaranteed. Yeah. that they're going to do something or say something that people are going to show you and be like is this this your king? This your queen? And you're like, "Dang
0: it." Yeah, they're just a you could have you could have
1: did stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the turf elephant in the room mm-hmm. uh and so as i've mentioned i've always appreciated Atwood's work and i have many of her pieces i've read them i've met her in per- person like i said um and i understand the heartbreaking feeling you get when an idol or someone you trusted as an ally reveals themselves to be something other looking at you harry potter fans i feel your pain though mm-hmm. not quite as hard because the question is is margaret atwood a turf um there's this discussion online after she shared a twitter article um an article on twitter titled why can't we say woman anymore and it was in it was anti-trans in nature Mm -hmm. uh, though not like explicit um which is like a part of the conversation so the article claimed that the word woman was being bastardized villainized erased by terms like person who menstruates um which is used uh instead of woman who menstruates to honor transgender men and non-binary people um but according to this article is actually erasing women um which is not true yeah (laughs) um it is just explaining it and um yeah margaret hasn't been like an outright turf like JK, uh, but sharing this article kind of shows this passive indoctrination into trans hate or transit misinformation, transphobia. Um, yeah. Margaret encouraged Twitter followers to read the entire article, trying to say that the writer themselves was not a turf um, mm. kind of explaining their own interpretation of it. And it was more of like, um, <sighs> I'm not going to make explanations for her (laughs) words into her mouth, but from what it it seemed to me was like, it was more of like that some issues were overshadowing women's issues in their opinion, Mm. which is not true. Uh, And and somebody has a problem uh, with intersectionality. (laughs) So (laughs) someone lacks intersectionality a lot in their work. Yeah. I could see why they would think that including other people into your <laughs> narrative uh would see that as an attack instead of like oh we can help each other because all these issues yeah. are all tangled up in one another and we can we're not free powerful. If, if we're not all free we're not so free if we're not all, you know like yep. Anyway, uh, later she did tweet out a scientific article that pressed the idea that gender is a construct and we shouldn't be placing folks into these boxes. Um, and when followers push back about the oppression of women in Gilead, trying to say, like, you... Like, there are people who are just like, Gilead's about like women specifically. We don't talk about trans people, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. to, like,
0: Well, who are like thrilled that she might be a TERF and were like, yeah.
1: hey, another TERF. Other TERFs <laughs> <Another laughs> were like, oh, cool. See, this is your feminist icon. And she's also yeah. going to believe that trans women are when, women. <laughs> and when she was like, no, but maybe not. And then yeah. they were like, what you said? Yeah, exactly. You were one they're of us. like, yeah. They're like, uh, you can't share the scientific article because you wrote this whole book that says something else. And she replied, in the novel, they had to be, uh, the people who um, were made handmaids, had mm-hmm. to be divorced because Gilead also uh, doesn't allow divorce and fertile or immoral, um, though some of them would just end up Uh, at Jezebel's Mm -hmm. and uh, women married only once would be wives of high status or Econo wives for the lower income folks and some could choose celibacy uh, becoming aunts or Martha's so um, explaining that the designation of handmaiden wasn't based on gender but these specific qualifications only though it's kind of feels a bit like when jk is like dumbledore is gay and everyone's like but where mm-hmm. <laughs> like you can't just like retroact. like you wrote the book huh? and like you could have wrote that you could have wrote any of these things that In you're there, retroactively yeah. saying are happening you can't do that like yeah. write a book write it write it's it just out lies it now it. yeah it's just fan fiction <laughs> for your own work yeah. Um, and so that's what it kind of felt like to me, because it was like, well, I didn't explicitly say that they had to be women, but it was like, but you are, you know, like you did, like you weren't. But also the trans narrative, like those the defense of them and the the conversation pieces about trans women wasn't something that was out there. So when she wrote it in 1985 or 1984, when she wrote it, when it was published in 1985, I can understand her just not even knowing to do that Um, just ignorance um so again uh but she has said like specifically about this gender issue in an article on guardian titled margaret atwood on feminism culture worlds wars and speaking her mind i'm very willing to listen but not to be scammed and she has said that we should rejoice in nature's infinite variety Everything in nature is on a bell curve. We have this two box thinking about gender because it's biblical. So wool over here, linen over there. And then she goes further to explain. Okay, let me say this again. <laughs> this is going to take a while to settle down. But XY and XX are not the only chromosomal combinations possible. Look it up, okay? This has been a flux In flux for a very long time and in the Bible, a male wearing female clothes would be um, she makes a slacing gesture across her neck. Uh, You want to do that? No. Okay, so in the end, I won't defend her and say she's not a turf because of this conversation. Because she has said there's more than one gender and gender is stupid. Um, Frankly, I'm (laughs) not defending her because she needs to defend herself. Um, Simply, she should be open to learning and hearing from the trans community now. Right. We can make all the, you know, defenses about what she's written and everything else in the past, but her posting things on Twitter is actively happening now. Um, and she has uh, like posted since. Uh, she posted articles that mention that essentially she has no right to speak on trans issues, of which I absolutely agree. Um, mm-hmm. She shared articles like, Why can't women, why can't we say women anymore? is speaking out about trans issues though (laughs) whether it's intentional or not yeah um and so she needs to choose like she needs to learn from the communities and not speak for them but at least admit to her own ignorance and that she needs to unlearn some of the things that like maybe passively she has like ingested um and apologize even if you didn't intend to harm the community you did impact over intention which we're always talking about so say sorry learn about the issues and then let's move on yeah uh i will say that her limited white uneducated about trans issues brand of feminism certainly affects her work and we'll talk about this more uh this insular pov next week when we compare her titular work handmaid's tale to something more worldly like octavia butler's parable of the talents yeah so stay tuned um however this week i want to focus on her work specifically her influences and motivations so that's out of the way Yeah, (laughs) I'm gonna let her deal with that. So speculative fiction is the big thing about Margaret Atwood. So she's well known for her work, The Handmaid's Tale, which is a dystopian tale about the oppression of women, where they're reduced to tools, their status determined by how they can best serve the men of Gilead. There is either uh, incubators for their spawn, uh, managers of their homes or wives. That are still subservient. Mm-hmm. And Atward has a talent for writing her horrifying realistic features. And she refuses to label her work as science fiction, but rather encourages the subgenre of speculative, speculative fiction, uh, which is entirely possible. She sees science fiction as something that we cannot do now, um, like travel to another planet and create things there, mm-hmm. or jump into a like a black hole that makes us into a different dimension like those things we cannot fathom to do mm-hmm. um but speculative fiction are things that are based on real world fact things that are happened in our history that influence like a, a clear projection of the future yeah um, and that it's taking place here on earth so that's kind of the distinction for her um my favorite a series of hers is the Mad Adam trilogy that focuses heavily on climate change, overhunting, extinction, technological advances, and processed foods. Um, the trilogy is being adapted for TV by Hulu very excited (laughs) to to see that. Um, and even Handmaid's Tale exists under the shadow of climate change, the environmental effects leaving most women barren and making those that could still bear children into rare delicacies for men in power. Um, she also is pushed back against, uh, having her works be labeled as feminist. Um, and we'll Mm -hmm. say more about this next week. Uh, but she's just just dissatisfied with the specific label put upon her and other women in the genre, such as Octavia Butler or Ursula Le Guin, um, Asking herself if the handmaid's tale is a feminist story in the New York Times, she responded, if you mean a novel in which a woman, which in which women are human beings with all the variety of character and behavior that implies and are also interesting and important, and what happens to them is crucial to the theme, structure, and plot of the book, then yes. Um, which is like one of those problematic things about like people misunderstanding what feminism is. Uh (laughs) I think it's more that she doesn't want like her work to just be called feminist because she's a woman writing about women's issues um but it is feminist yeah and i think because we just forget what feminism is uh it's just like when taylor swift was like i'm not a t- i'm not a feminist because i don't hate men and we're like that's not what that is yeah. <laughs> that's, that's miss andrian like you need to get a dictionary <laughs> and figure out what words are yeah. um her work is inherently feminist when her villain is so often wealthy white and male uh obvious oppressive forces of women um this is also a villain for uh, women of color and BIPOC people, but she's not too focused on intersection with fe- feminism, and she really enjoys staying in her lane. Uh, but write what you know, I guess. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I also found this really awesome Venn diagram of Atwood's work and their overlapping themes on Vox in an article titled How Margaret Atwood Became the Voice of 2017. And we have, like... Uh, A handful of her her pieces because again like 50 right (laughs) um there's like nature is important and we are killing it the future is going to be so incredibly terrible and that includes like the handmaid's tale the heart goes last mad adam the year of the flood orcs and crake uh women being terrible to women this is the robber bride handmaid's tale uh then we also have uh (laughs) men being terrible to women which is alias grace the penelope ad the blind assassin lady oracle it's all over the place um (laughs) everyone cheats on their spouses children are monsters capitalism is evil and let's remix some old stories and tropes uh so a lot of over overarching themes but they all kind of blend into each other um to uh tell these different stories and the fact that there is some intersectionality happening (laughs) which is kind of understanding that things are layered um In her Mad Adam trilogy, there are many unsettling biological environmental elements inspired by reality. In this cool article I found on Science Friday titled Four Ways Orcs and Craig Predicted the Future, authors Julie Liebekeur. Nicole Wetzman uh, and Nicole Wetzman explain the possibility of Atwood's predictions, including glowing green bunnies. They say in 2000, self-described transgenic artist Eduardo Kak introduced the world to a real albino rabbit that glowed green under blue lighting conditions. Her name was Alba and her verdure came from a protein called green fluorescent protein or GFB encoded by a gene that had been inserted at the rabbit's zygote stage. Alba became the centerpiece of an art concept that Kat uh, called GFP bunny, which involved other components as well, such as a public discourse about the cultural and ethical implications of genetic engineering. Which is like, but you made this thing, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you're like, we should talk about the ethical.
0: (laughs) Like, maybe we shouldn't (laughs) have done this, but we did it so that you would see that we shouldn't have done it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) the <laughs> it's it's uh the jurassic park line right like yeah. we were, we we're so preoccupied with whether we because. could we didn't stop to see if we should um there are glowing green bunnies that appear in orcs and Creek uh in book one of the trilogy uh in the in that uh snippet it says in the book across the clearing to the south comes a rabbit hopping listening pausing to nibble at the grass with its gigantic teeth it glows in the dusk a greenish glow filch from the eridocytes of a deep sea jellyfish in law some long ago experiment which you wonder like the fact that her dad um loved bugs and she was like existing in nature all the time with him Mm -hmm. that she is probably like well aware (laughs) of what happens in nature which like this part and um part of why i like Matt adam it also reminds me of um the southern reach trilogy which is annihilation um Mm -hmm. You know, it's very realistic. There's also organ farms and genetic experiments that allow humans to live longer by way of not dying by pesky organ failure. Um is that musical? Yeah. And in the uh, book, it says the goal of the pigoon project was to grow an assortment of foolproof human tissue organs in a transgenic knockout pig host organs that would transplant smoothly and avoid rejection, but would also be able to fend off attacks by opportunistic microbes and viruses, of which there were more strains every year. A rapid maturity gene was spliced in so the pigoon, kidneys, and livers and hearts would be ready sooner. And now they were perfecting a pigoon that could grow five or six kidneys at a time. Such a host animal could be reaped of its extra kidneys. Then, rather than be destroyed, it could keep on living and grow more organs, much as a a lobster could grow another claw to replace a missing one. That would be less wasteful, as it took a lot of food and care to grow a pigoon um piggoons are terrifying there's a lot of really terrifying things that people made <laughs> in uh the mad adam trilogy piggoons are one of them they're like I'm out like, there and they're like pigs are smart as it is yeah i'm also just like terrified by
0: that like i want to know what they've done already
1: you know yeah so like, if what that sounded already exists. terrifying <laughs> Good news. It's a real possibility. Oh, lovely. Thank you. (laughs) In in that article that I mentioned earlier, an increasing number of researchers are interested in growing human tissue and organs in animals by introducing pluripotent human cells into early animal embryos, wrote Carrie D. Wolinitz, the Associate Director for Science Policy for the NIH in a blog post in 2006. Mm, Love that. uh, 2016. So this is a a minute ago too. Formation Mm -hmm. of these types of human animal organisms referred to as chimeras. Love it, yep. Holds tremendous potential for disease modeling, drug testing, and perhaps eventual organ transplant. And in 2015, science reported that is... Pitsua, sorry, Belamonte and his colleagues had identified a new type of human pluripotent stem cell that seems to be especially good at contributing to animal embryos. They ejected those cells into pig embryos to create chimeras that developed for two to three weeks and found that the cells contribute to, contributed uh, to the growing pancreas and heart, according to the science article. Uh, their chimeric research is still in the very early stages. However, So, uh, don't expect pigoon transplant organs to be available anytime soon, but again, that was in 2015.
0: Mm. That article will happen. Many thoughts. (laughs) It's just like, okay, okay, I'm gonna put myself here too. So, Oh, wait, now, how do we both be here? There we go. Um, So, it's kind of like when you put something out into the world, you know, like literature, or like movies, or whatever, Mm -hmm. and it's like, you're doing so as a way to critique the things happening unknowingly, maybe giving them the framework
1: for how they can do it.
0: Yeah. That's just like, that's where my head is at. Where it's like, like any like
1: crime show yeah. where you're like, oh no, have we just taught someone? Like how many people yeah. now know how to like get rid of a body because of Breaking Bad? Yes. No,
0: exactly. Where it's like, if something is just like put out there in such a big way where it's just like, oh dang. It's almost like they could have read this and been like, wow, that's a great way to oppress things. Or maybe we should try to genetically put organs into pigs. I didn't think of that before. But you know, what? honestly look look at them. They really just came up with the spark that ignited the flame of this crazy thing that's now going to happen. Yeah. I'm not saying it's her fault. I'm just saying that it's crazy the way in which media just happens and then people are just like this idea now Mm -hmm. we didn't stop to think uh if we if we should (gasps) we made it
1: uh it's like what came first the pigoon or the pigoon egg embryo yeah that we put the organs in um yeah
0: or the pigoon itself Yeah. yeah yeah
1: yeah 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 (laughs) because <laughs> like part of it is like she's definitely getting her information from the real world yeah uh, which is why she writes things the way they do but the fact that like a lot of things that are like examples uh like direct examples of what she's do- doing like in that article happen after her book yeah so you're like mm.
0: Artemis. like are the republicans reading parable of the sower and just like being like oh it seems like a great way
1: so, just... so that's how you do that yeah okay oh, hmm. taking notes yeah uh, I could be like
0: Jarrett; he's my idol yeah. uh you know I don't know it's just like fun yeah. the world I'll let you yeah. keep going about... <laughs> Thank you. um yeah
1: yeah it's it's very true it's very horrifying uh it is a little mix of like which came first um mm. we would hope that people would learn the right lessons But sometimes it's like a challenge, you know, Um, more than the scientific predictions, the Mad Adam trilogy highlights the decaying society we live in with an emphasis on corporations and their power, as well as an all too real apathetic reaction to a pandemic um however despite the eerie and heartbreaking world painted in the trilogy there is a line of hope a message we're familiar with with the eco horror genre that the earth and other life will continue without us and with sure the will. apocalypse it is only our world that changes the world doesn't end completely um you don't read the mad adam series to see how the world breaks you read it more to see how a new world can come from something which seemed always destined to break explains writer giles Allen bowden in the unnerving relevance of margaret atwood's matt adam trilogy on the boar in orcs and crake we meet the crakers genetically improved humanoids who are the next evolution of humanity um and they're better than us in a lot of ways and they're very just like specifically created to make up for things that we lack Um, Mm. and they take from animals in certain ways. Like one of my favorite facts about the Krakers or things about the Krakers is that they, um, purr. So like our cats purr to like heal us sometimes, like to ease pain and they purr to like heal themselves and each other. There's also like, they're different colored, which was supposed to like, um, they're all like different crazy colors, like blue. Um, and this was like, to alleviate racism. Uh, they also don't have, um like uh like one uh like they don't have monogamy in mm. so they're like a whole community and they just like they're like we breed to make babies and to have fun and so they just <laughs> kind of do that like yeah <laughs> they're kind of fun the crackers are really cute <laughs> um and they're just like cool new people yeah uh, Highly recommend reading to learn about them. Now I'm like, Um, I want to know. Yeah, (laughs) In The Heart Goes Last, we're offered a glimpse into an almost future inspired by the financial crisis of the early 2000s. Those who suffered terrible economic failure, living in their cars and scraping pennies to get by, find refuge in a new working city. A city built around a prison uh Mm -hmm. the residents rotate shifts between being staff at this prison and being inmates at this prison so they have like a house they're given a house with all the amenities but for half the year somebody else lives there and they live in a prison and then they switch but it's like you get food right uh you you can see the appeal (laughs) versus living in your car and not knowing when your next meal will come because all your needs are met here you got food lodging safety it's a place I could very easily see existing in Octavia Butler's parable of the sower. It's like a new form of slavery, which she hints at a lot in that book and in talents as well. Um, there's also this whole theme about sex workers, technology, fetishes, and sexual sexuality mixed up together in a wheel weird stew of Elvis sex bots um, wow. okay. <laughs> a very interesting, uh, thing. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Atwood has said, our stories are likely to be tales, not of those who made it, but of those who made it back from the awful experience, the North, the snowstorm, the sinking ship that killed everyone else. And Atwood's speculative fiction morphs our realities into haunting mirrors, whether painting a world in which the American government is replaced by a militarized theocracy, hello, January 6th, Mm -hmm. uh, in The Handmaid's Tale, or a future in which civilization is wiped out by a man-made viral pandemic... In Oryx and Crake, Atwood makes some compelling cases for a change. We are on track to an even worse future. It's only a matter of which one we choose. Indentured servitude through our flawed and disgusting incarceration system, the reduction of women to cattle, vessels for giving birth stripped of their rights and humanity, ethically questionable technological advancements that could be our undoing. Each world she builds is possible and similar to Butler's, a promise. And she, like Butler, doesn't want to just scare us. She wants to inspire us. She has said, but there's no point in placing your confidence in hope alone. Hope should inspire action rather than be a substitute for it. To know you have a chance is what drives people to do amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really inspiring and interesting because Hammaid's Tale is so hopeless. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll
0: definitely talk about that. It's like girl you, yeah you leave with no, like if anything
1: that was my biggest gripe is you leave no hope there's just like no oh hope. jesus okay it was i will say this and we're gonna talk about it next week handmaid's tale is very um don't look up no uh it was a little don't look up i see it as the diary of Anne frank hmm. because that's literally what it is at the end like at the end they're like we found these this note we found all this these journals. Mm-hmm. We think she might have been stowed away in an attic. Like they literally say it to you. They're diary entries. You get a glimpse of the world through the lies of one person, and then it ends, and we don't know what happens, except like we know what happened to Anne Frank, but not everybody knows that. Right. Yeah. Um, it's you don't know that when you're reading all the time. Mm-hmm. And so the end is like, oh, her dad showed up a week too late. And you're like, What? Um, and that's kind of like what the world is. <laughs> so yeah. i get it i get like her being like this is literally reality like this is like you know mm-hmm. um but at the same time it is pretty hopeless um mad adam is a little less at because it is more of like the earth is reclaiming itself
0: yeah um in Which that hopeless way for humanity but not for yeah. everybody else
1: yeah and also like the heart goes last is kind of just like humans suck And like, it's the world sucks for us. And we just kind of try to do it. It's a little more fun, I would say, than it's like it's it has a really serious undertone, but it's also a little more fun. Um, Also, random fun fact that (laughs) Kat mentioned that I had at the end uh, is that in this New York Times article that I found titled Margaret Atwood, The Prophet of Dystopia by Rebecca Rebecca Mead. They shared a a fascinating story about Atwood's family history, because apparently an ancestor of hers was dubbed a witch and hanged for it yeah um it's literally like she just happened to know like she was just not the typical woman right yeah um i would end up writing a whole um poem about her it was pretty interesting um Mm. but though she was hung she didn't die yeah (laughs) so in this article it says it was before the age of drop hanging so she didn't die she dangled there all night and in the morning when they came to cut the body down she was still alive and she became known as Half-Hanged Mary. Hmm. Atwood would later name Mary in her dedication for The Handmaid's Tale.
0: Yeah. That is super interesting.
1: I was like, that's cool. Um, and I think it, that might have been, like, her learning about that was kind of this, like, you know, we, there's, like, the, <laughs> again, the, the white feminist thing, but, like, mm-hmm. there's a trend of, like, our grandmothers were the witches you couldn't burn or whatever like the people who are like trying to be witches now yeah uh, that habit, like that trend of like we were the witches you couldn't burn is the same time period which people were like I'm a like an anti-handmaiden like yeah. is that same like weird like we're taken back yeah I don't know <laughs> I saw this picture because we am getting married soon I saw this picture of like bad weddings and uh-huh. one of them was this theme and it was handmaids themed and like the whole party was like in the handmaids I was like what? Yeah, like what in
0: what world do you think that's a good idea yeah, you like missed the entire point by like five steps um,
1: <laughs>
0: yes it's, it's wild I, it, we'll get into it next week I have like a whole little section where I'm like people just don't <laughs> they're like that seems fun but they have no idea they literally <laughs> Well, it's like when people
1: it. were making the games for a Squid Game. Yeah, it's like,
0: or they made real Squid Games. Like that wasn't the whole point—is to not do Squid Games. Like Squid Games was bad. You don't want Squid Game to be real. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like reality TV in a whole is extremely exploitative in a way to get people to do things that they wouldn't do in any other circumstance for money, um, mm-hmm. including, the vulnerable. Like,
1: yeah, including vulnerable. Yeah, hurt
0: themselves and others. Um, yeah, no, it's it's the whole thing. People like. That's what media, that's what I'm saying. Like, media, it's very great. But also, people take it and put it places in just, like, the weirdest ways that you're, like, that. You're not listening. That wasn't the thing. (laughs) You were not supposed to do that. Or also, it's, like, this wasn't for you. Like, stop acting like this was for you the whole time. Like, TikTok trends and, like, the appropriation of, like, Black music and culture in, Rich white kids just being like, "I'm gonna make this dance new again. This is about me." And it's like it wasn't ever about you, and it continues to not be about you. And you were just like twenty steps away from where you should be. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. Um, yes. Ultimately,
1: I try when we so when we record the next one, I was like considering like having because you know we sometimes will do silly openings, mm-hmm. and I like had this thought was like, "Oh, what if we did that?" And I was like, "I don't want to be of." my partner, that's gross. But now I'm like, we have covered the Handmaid's Tale show in our Oppression of Women series and I want to rewatch it because I don't know if we introduced ourselves that way but I imagine if we did, we were both like
0: Yeah, no, I mentioned that too next week too. I was like, uh, I, I don't know if we did a bad job but I think we were definitely in a different space of our journey of figuring one out who we are and then also like our media literacy and critiques like i think we were not quite where we are now um i don't think we did a bad job i just don't know if we did a great job
1: yeah uh, this a I, job. I know
0: we dressed up as handmaids we I, did. Vis- we did. I vividly remember well that.
1: i was i was uh the wife your wife you yeah were handmaid. yeah yeah it was fine because that was a good yeah. series that was our horrors of society series we yeah, also yeah. covered population control which i'll reference yeah. next week as well so there's a lot that is good in there yeah. but here we are this is why we're covering yeah. the book specifically
0: and exactly. we're talking about some of the issues with it so i don't think we messed it up i just don't know if we did like as good as a job as we've been doing lately
1: <laughs> yeah That's you can honestly. always
0: trust us to be thorough like we yeah. gonna come
1: back around we're gonna fix it up <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna do we're gonna do it okay um, before us
0: is different than now us
1: always 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 mm-hmm. growing and just like we need you margaret atwood to do you just say like listen i'm sorry <laughs> yeah i'm real sorry and some people will just I be like that is an issue yeah some people won't forgive you
0: and that's also fine
1: yeah just like say
0: it though because yeah, some people say will
1: yes you, you gotta acknowledge you can't just be like eventually people
0: forget or power.
1: yeah you have yeah. power. You may like, we were just talking about it. Did you create the piggoons by just speaking yeah. them into existence in your fiction? Like, you got you got to understand you got power.
0: Yeah, they let you publish 50 books.
1: You got to do something about it, saying. man. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, all this to say, read a read a Margaret Atwood. I like, you can read Animate's Tale, absolutely. It is, you know, a fundamental read um i think it's it is pretty interesting i think if you read it you should also read octavia butler's Earthseed series mm-hmm. like you should get the full picture because you're not you're not going to get it you're not gonna get the full picture of what our immediate world is about to look like um <laughs> unless you read both of those things but read all the i highly recommend the mad adam trilogy um it's also really traumatizing but it's very interesting and when mm-hmm. you know that there are some real scientific things happening in there, it becomes even more interesting. Uh, and the rest of it, like, Year of the Flood was my favorite. Um, and so, that's the middle one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, if you liked Annihilation, which I told you about... Uh, I, do remember that. I still you need to read like that, too.
0: I need to see if it's on the thingy.
1: Yeah, good luck. Uh, that one's a bit harder to get through than <laughs> Matt Adam. But, um, yeah, let us know how you feel about Atwood if there's a book that we mentioned that's your favorite let us know Yeah. if there's another author out there that you recommend I do have an Ursula Le Guin uh, book I have not read it yet uh, Into the Darkness I think it's called and um, mm-hmm. that's because it was recommended so read it tell me and I'll, yeah, I'll, tell us look books. <laughs> I'll look it up I'm like
0: really into reading though so <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: tell me some books this whole read. series
1: is going to be great for it um, yeah Yeah, and with that being said don't get married
0: they I'll eat your kids. kids. Yeah, they'll make you have them, or they'll make you never have kids again, or lose they'll do, they'll do stuff you know, the world.
1: Or the world, like, you know, climate change. So it's like, yeah, what are the they, kids like, melt. Kids so melt. Kids die, because of the environment. Yeah. Or they get a new organ from a pig.
0: Or the pigs become people now, and they take
1: over. I'd no, be done. Pigs are cool. Yeah, pigs are my promise. favorite animal. I love them. Just so yeah. yeah. Here's, the I music.
0: yeah, I vibes, I vibes with it. I'm allergic to every animal that exists. So I, I've seen a pig, you know, but hey, I, I, nice. I, I can't pet them or like talk to them because I my eyes will so, shit, so. I'll talk to them for you. That's why you can't get married on a farm. That's literally like the whole thing. So <laughs> I'm very allergic to farm animals. It means that like in the apocalypse, like. I I can only do garden.
1: Mm-hmm. You just I can't have. that part, yeah.
0: I can't have bunnies. I'll die. I can't have. I can't. Any of, I'm
1: allergic to bunnies.
0: Yeah, so I can't have any of it. I just have to eat plants forever, which is
1: totally fine. I like plants. That's what I do. Yeah. All right. Well, bye everyone. Survive the apocalypse. It's coming.